Welcome to Dairy Intelligent, a podcast by VES Artex. Together, we will meet dairy industry intellects and passionate dairy producers to discuss all things cows and connected technologies. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of VSR Texas podcast, Dairy Intelligent. I'm your host, Annie, and today I'm joined by Jeff Ziegler, Vice President of Dairy Cattle Breeding with Select Sires. In the world of dairy farming, the pursuit of innovation and genetic advancements is constant. And today we're exploring a fascinating, but not as well-known genetic trait, slick genes. These genetics are not only helping dairy producers beat the heat, but also hold the potential to transform the way we think about breeding and herd management. So thank you so much for being with us today, Jeff. Let's start off by having you introduce yourself and giving us some of your background. Well, thank you, Andy, and it's a pleasure to be here today and and talk about a topic that uh, we think has opportunities for lots of lots of different reasons. But um, my name is Jeff Ziegler, uh, Vice President of Dairy Cattle Breeding here at Select Sires, charged with trying to understand market developments and market needs of the future, so we can build genetic products to fulfill those needs. Uh, and make our customers money with them. So look forward to this topic as well. Well, welcome. I I think a good place to start is, can you provide an overview of what slick genetics are and how they differ from traditional coat types? Yes, the the genetic development uh, of an AI program centers around needs of dairymen to fine-tune their programs. Um, We all know that the management uh, expertise that's been developed through the years, such as your company, Annie, Uh, has really made cattle thrive and survive in environments quite well. But we have to keep up uh, pace genetically at the same time. And one of those is heat abatement that uh, we need to to see if there's ways within the genetics world, if we can add to the cause. So we investigated the slick gene, which is uh, uh, actually was developed or founded years ago in the Caribbean islands in the Senapol breed to uh, and, and it was incorporated into the Holstein population by the University of Florida and in Puerto Rico with a couple of wise scientists that said, you know, if there's a way that we can add this to the product productivity ability of Holsteins, could we even advance them further in some of these hot, humid, tropical environments? So we decided to jump on board with that. And here's where we are today. So can you explain how slick genetics help dairy cattle beat the heat and improve their overall well-being? The, the slick gene, basically what it is, it changes the hair follicle of an animal and allows the animal to sweat a little easier. So when the, the temperature gets above 80 degrees or above 50% humidity, an animal needs to expound that body heat uh, as quick as possible. And yes, there's create barn fan systems and barn ventilation systems that do that. Um, But if the hair coat of the animal can be uh, incorporated into that process, can we even do it better? So there was research done down in Florida, looking at uh, groups of animals that carried the slick gene and those that did not during the hot, humid uh, times of the year, calving in in the hot, humid times of year, typically from May to October in particular. And then they did uh, several tests looking at uh, uh, body temperatures and looking at milk production and seeing if there was a difference. And and there was between these two uh, non-carrier and carrier groups to the point of up to 10 pounds of production per day. And that's what caught our attention to see, okay, 
How can we capture that in our genetic portfolio at the same time? So in what environmental conditions do slick genetics become particularly valuable for dairy producers? So we look at the slick opportunities in high production genetics, more so in some of our uh, tropical environments of the globe or the, the hot, humid areas of, of, of the world. But at the same time, we didn't want to preclude this, the south, the southern regions of the U.S. that fight this for longer, prolonged periods maybe than they do in the north. And if we can get genetics that can compete with the non-slick genetics of the population, um, we said, well, why not? Because this will just allow those genetics to be expressed more so and not... Um, not clamped down by the, the hot, humid, hot, humid environmental conditions that, you know, are in those areas. So uh, it maybe started as a global idea, but it's actually incorporated into the U.S. as well. Uh, and the uptake to this point has been, been uh, not quick, but at the same time, it's taken us a couple generations to get the genetic values of these slick animals closer to the non-slick values to uh, allow these to be utilized within herds. I think looking into that a little further, how do slick genetics impact the overall performance and the productivity of cows, such as milk production or um, that they're able to reproduce efficiently? Right, and, and I think once more of these slick genes are incorporated into the population and more data is developed in uh, a variety of ways, we're gonna learn a lot more. The initial studies uh, mentioned were down, down at the University of Florida and uh, they did find a 10-pound difference per day in milk yield between slick and non-slick for the animals that, that calved in the month of uh, May to July. So that quickly told, and the genetic value of those animals was, was fairly similar. So that told us fairly quickly, okay, there's something more than just production genes are allowing these animals to express those production genes better. Um, so we set out course to, okay, what are those uh, genetics? How do we incorporate those into a program that we need to advance them genetically and do it quickly? Uh, and then how do we get uh, dairymen across the globe to utilize them and then create data within these herds to help us do further research so we can look at productivity and reproductivity and health and maybe even calf health and all the different ingredients that are so important to today's dairy enterprises. Absolutely. Wow. 10 pounds. That's a big difference in a, a pretty good case study right there. So right now, is this genetic trait available for all breeds of dairy cattle? I know you mentioned Holsteins earlier. Sure. And we, and we started out with the Holstein breed, but yes, we've incorporated that into the Jersey breed as well. Um, decided to see what we, what we can get developed in those two breeds at first, but we're, we're not at all opposed to looking at other populations to see where it can benefit dairy and maybe even the beef breeds as time goes along as well, because it's, it's uh, I guess, common sense, I guess, in my mind. If you have an animal that can reduce the amount of body heat, they're going to perform better, uh, no matter what breed they are, um, um, what age of, of maturity they may be, it, it all has benefits. So, started with Holstein because they have a large population it allows us to do this fairly quickly. Uh, we incorporated now some jerseys, don't have the jersey bulls to, to talk about yet, but we hope to soon. And then uh, we'll branch into other breeds as that uh, opportunity comes along. Wonderful. And 
How does the incorporation of slick genetics affect breeding and the selection process for cows? Sure. It's like it's like any new trait that you chase. At first, you kind of got to go a bit backwards in what you're accustomed to in genetic improvement because you're adding a, a unique gene or a unique set of genes that most likely don't carry the typical production and reproduction performance that we're used to. So when we start, first started using a, a slick sire on the population that we work with, um, you take a step back because the results come in, you get genomic results in like you do on genomic results on non-slick and you say, whoa, uh, you know, I like two, three, 500 TPI points and two, three to 400 net merit dollars reduction of what you typically see when you're making genetic improvement from one generation to the next. But at the same time, then we have this, the slick gene incorporated in. So you have to carry this through through a couple of generations um, to get the slick gene uh, into the population and then add the productivity and reproductive performance and health performance that we're accustomed to. So once you get to that third and fourth generation, then you can see, aha, okay, we can do this and make it an animal that carries a slick gene that can uh, and should perform similarly to the non-slick population. Absolutely. And what have been some practical results or success stories that you have from dairy producers who have incorporated slick genetics into their breeding programs? Sure. And, uh, and that's the point I talked about data that we're in the process of, of capturing now is that once we get enough critical mass in a herd, then we can do some internal studies of our own with the herd's uh, assistance and, and see what kind of results we're truly getting. And our, our true next interest is in the reproductive performance. Uh, the productive performance, I think, has been well documented, and um, we even have a, a few results of our own to show us that. But production alone does not, doesn't drive our industry anymore. It's, it's reproduction, it's health, it's longevity, it's mastitis control, it's lots of things. Um, so that's our next step, and the reproductive performance is our next step. So uh, as an example, we have a, a bull now, we call him Slick Chip, you know, kind of a fun name. But um, this particular bull... Uh, has genomic performance that's similar to his counterparts to the point that he has been used on some high genomic animals within a population to see uh, how they're going to perform. Now, his first daughter's just being born right now. Um, I remember the bull himself was born in Wisconsin, and uh, we took a group of international guests to go uh, tour the herd, and, and the bull was there. It was in a hutch, and we put a sign by the hutch and said, hey, here's a Here's a slick bull, what do you think? And they were all taken aback because phenotypically you can pick them out. Um, they look like they've been body shaved or clipped, uh, and actually they haven't. And uh, and we have bulls in our stud right now that during the summer months, you'd, you'd swear we've been out there with the clippers uh, keeping the hair off them, but we don't. They just don't grow the hair follicles that a normal animal does. So you can see it pretty quick, and you can understand pretty quick why they do release that body heat up much easier uh, than a, a normal non-slicked animal. Absolutely. That that was going to be one of my questions, asking what they look like, if they look a little bit different, but very, very interesting. And especially on as you're talking about getting more data on the reproductive side, because I think it's pretty well known heat stress can truly affect uh, milk production, but reproduction is another huge, huge asset that is often lost during times of heat stress. So We've talked a lot about the successes of these genetics, but 
What are some of the challenges or considerations that a farmer might want to take before they incorporate these genes into their herd? Sure. And uh, the, the initial challenge or initial uh, thought is that we don't want to oversell this idea and, and think that, and allow people to think, well, I don't need to worry about my environment because I now I have slick genetics. They'll perform in anything. No, that's not true. It'll add to good environments. It's not going to replace good environments. So you still have to have environmental controls in place and great ventilation and facilities to, to get the job done. This just adds another possibility to, to allow the animal to express itself further. Secondly, is that um, you do have to accept some reduction in what the non-slick population looks like genetically to incorporate the gene. And then just like we did on the bull side, on the female side, you do the same thing. If you're patient through a couple generations, that's where you see uh, the change that, that will take place. Um, and then the other, other interesting thing is, Annie, since you live up in the state of Minnesota, we had several people with asking us questions in the north that saying, well, if this animal doesn't grow a normal hair coat, are they jeopardizing their health status in the winter months? Um, and we have found that actually, no, they don't. During the winter months, you looking at these animals and they do grow hair almost to the same length and, and dimension that you see on normal non-select animals. Um, and they thrive and survive in the cold climate just fine. Not a problem at all. We've had slick animals born in the month of January in Wisconsin when it's been below zero. And uh, if you give them normal husbandry like you do any other animal, they get along just fine. So hasn't been a problem there either. That's a very interesting point. Again, that I probably wouldn't have thought about, um, but obviously ventilation is VSR ticks is bread and butter, and we know that it's just important year round. So good to know that these cattle can stand the test of can stand the test of time there for sure. I'm wondering how might climate change and increasing global temperatures impact the demand and adoption of these genetics? Yeah, that's a interesting question, and I'm sure you could have a podcast just on that question alone. Um, depending who you listen to, who you believe and, and what your personal interests are, um, is the, is the globe getting warmer? And, and if indeed it is, and some people say it is, and I personally think maybe it is some as well, um, we need to find better ways to allow our animals to express their genetic capabilities and, and management alone won't do it. Uh, genetics alone won't do it. The combination of the two is the best counseling advice. But at the same time, we have to keep the genetic progress at a rate um, that, that makes this process all truly worthy. Because if we go backwards genetically, we're losing all the gain that we've gotten in the last 10 years or 12 years because of genomics. So as the, as the globe gets a bit warmer, um, why not find ways to allow animals to, to thrive in those types of environments, no matter if it where you are on the globe. And um, again, it's it's been our mantra at SelectStars for years. Okay, what can we do to make dairymen money through the genetic progress? And if this is one of those key points, it's we our due diligence says we need to get the job done. Um, so we took a, a lump sum of money uh, to start the project that start the project. We've continued the project. We're a generation actually four uh, of getting involved in the project and you're going to see bulls and females actually coming up in the near future that you're going to look at their genetic values and you're going to say that's impressive 
Oh, by the way, they happen to carry the slick gene as well. So it would be the first time that we can carry that to the marketplace and allow them to, to make the choice themselves if they want to incorporate this into their, their breeding program. That's indeed very exciting. And you mentioned um, that you're going to be having jerseys available with this slick coat gene um, and looking more into the reproductive effects. But looking to the future, what other developments or advancements do you foresee for slick genetics in the dairy industry? Sure. is, is If we can incorporate slick uh, into our population with genetic improvement, and when I say genetic improvement, we look at so many facets now of what that truly means. And reproductive performance is definitely the next key without question. Health of the animal is is not far behind that. Um, Mastitis resistance or allowing a a healthy udder to produce healthy quality milk is not far behind that. Um, And then the next step will be calf health. And uh, if anything your company can do or any company can do to to make healthier calves, we all know healthy calves turn into healthier cows. Uh, and we need to incorporate this into the, the uh, breeding program and then look at it from a calf health protocol as well to see if they, they have redu- reduced respiratory disease or reduced calf illness or whatever the case may be. Um, and then if so, then we'll carry to the next step. But progressing through from production to reproduction to health, to calves, and whatever's next behind that. It might be embryo survival. It might be something more. We're not sure. Um, We'll chase anything we possibly can as long as we have the total genetic performance and captured and not just an individual trait. Absolutely. What advice or recommendations do you have for dairy producers who are considering incorporating slick genes into their breeding strategies? I think the, the key is that have a target for what the herd's trying to accomplish. Um, know what your milk market is, know what your facilities are, know how your facilities could change first and foremost. Once you have that kind of encapsulated, what type of genetics will best thrive and survive in all of that and make you the most money? And if, if uh, you're in an area where Mother Nature is hot and humid, uh, we would have you take a strong look at this now that we have genetics of of reasonable production and reproduction value um, to help you with that process. So I don't, I want to make sure this is done the proper order, but again, don't think that the slick process or project that we're focused on today is going to replace good facility design or good management practices. It's not, it's just going to be an additive value uh, after those first two are, are properly cared for. Absolutely. A, a true ventilation strategy, I think, paired hand in hand with these genes is really going to be something that I think a lot of people need to keep an eye on in the future. Um, so we're now at the end of our conversation. Um, but before we wrap up, Jeff, I have one more question that I've been asking all of our interview guests, and I would like to know what an animal-centered environment means to you. Um, animal-centered environment. I think an animal-centered environment, the first thing that comes to my simple mind is that we are challenging the efficiency of our animals more than ever before. And an animal will become more efficient if we put her in the proper environment or he in the proper environment if you're an AI stud. And, and we have to do that because, you know, there's not more land being produced every year and the price of feed and labor isn't getting any cheaper. And, Every animal unit counts. 
So we better make her as efficient as possible. And if we can do our part on the genetic side of the equation, we will, and we are. Um, and while we're chasing slick today, uh, we're looking at other options down the road because we can't stop there because there's other nuances that continually occur or new technology that develops that we have to be a part of. So I think an animal-centered environment to me simply says get every single animal in that operation efficient, um, allow her to express her genetic capabilities. Uh, if she's not, shame on you. And if she does, that's great. And how can we make it even better? And it's our job to do that uh, with the genetic opportunities that are in front of us. Very well said. Well, thank you again, Jeff, for your time and insights. This certainly was a deep dive into the world of slick genetics. We hope everyone listening found this episode as enlightening as we did. And it's incredible to see the innovations in genetics that are shaping the future of dairy farming and especially offering solutions to the challenges of rising temperatures. So thank you again, everyone, for tuning in, and we will see you next time. Thank you for joining us for another Dairy Intelligent episode. We hope you have found some suggestions to improve cow comfort on your farm or simply just learn something new. If you have not already, please be sure to subscribe to our channel on your favorite podcast platform and let your friends know about us. We would love to have them listen and learn. Learn.